This is Kate Mercer on the Go Well Show. This week I'm talking with Dr Liz Eisenring, who's a Professor of Nutrition and Dietetics and Advanced Accredited Practicing Dietitian and Nutritionist who is passionate about improving lives through evidence-based nutrition and wellness consulting. Dr Liz is internationally recognised as a nutrition and wellness expert, has published over 150 peer-reviewed scientific papers and books and is a highly sought-after keynote speaker. Her work is used in over 40 countries and has helped hundreds of people to improve their nutrition and health. Good morning, Dr. Liz Eisenring. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Go Well program. My absolute pleasure. Really excited to be talking with you about all my favourite things, including nutrition and wellness. Yes, well, we read out your introduction earlier in the, mm-hmm. uh, the show. Certainly, you've, uh, you're a professor of nutrition and dietetics advanced Mm -hmm. accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and author Mm -hmm. and speaker practicing for (laughs) 20 years so you certainly Mm -hmm. uh, must be one of the leading people in Australia to talk talk on these topics. Yeah absolutely so as you've just said yes sort of uh, led and taught and researched in in this area so um, very passionate and very happy to to share what I know with your audience. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, look, I do want to sort of focus, as I do um, all the time, on the difference between uh, dietitians and nutritionists. And I do sort of want to do that just because it seems like there's just so many more nutritionists out there today. And I think we all need to sort of get an understanding of the differences. So can you sort of start, can we start there with maybe you talking about dietitians first? Yeah, let's do it. And it is um, a great question because I know it is very confusing. So in a nutshell, All dietitians are nutritionists, but very few nutritionists are dietitians. And so what I mean by that is that there's a certain level of study of general sort of nutrition practices that we will go to, and then particularly at university level, and then some might exit there as nutritionists and some might continue to go on and specialise in dietetics. And the dietetics and the dietitian part of it You know, traditionally you might have seen dietitians working in hospital or in aged care or in kitchens, making sure our menus provide appropriate nutrition. And so they spend a lot of time on physiology, learning how the body works, chemistry, biochemistry, and really can make nutritional diagnoses, prescribe diets, and use medical nutrition therapy. Nutritionists, on the other hand, tends to be more uh, general healthy nutrition advice rather than the more detailed prescribing and medical nutrition therapy. And the challenge with both dietitian and nutritionist is that they're actually not protected terms in Australia. While there are excellent dietitians and nutritionists, what I would suggest if you're wanting to look for a good dietitian, you need to look for what they call APD or accredited practicing dietitian because they've done a minimum of three years, in most cases five years, university-level education. Nutritionist is a really tricky one because, once again, um, we have really excellent nutritionists who may have done three or four or even more years study at bachelor and university level. But because it's not protected, people can also do an online course and call themselves a nutritionist. So it varies from someone who might have just purely done an online course and never seen any clients or patients to someone who is, you know, very experienced at the university level. Mm. So it is a complicated one. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, look, thank you for explaining that. What do you mean by not protected? So, for example, in America, dietitians, they use the term RD or registered dietitian, and it means that, you know, you have to have undergone that particular training. And so it's just like, you know, other protected terms where, you know, like dentist or physiotherapist, you have to have actually, you just can't set up shop and, and call yeah. yourself that. Whereas unfortunately in Australia, um, literally, I mean, you'd hope you've at least done an online course, but you literally could just call yourself a nutritionist. And it takes away from the genuine nutritionists who have, you know, studied hard. Mm -hmm. And likewise, dietitian is confusing as well. And I must admit, just to confuse things further, that's why I use the term both nutritionist and dietitian, mm. because to be honest, I do not love the name dietitian. And I know mother, many others don't as well, because it implies diets and mm. putting people on crazy restrictions. And of course, we don't do that. While we do prescribe specific foods and particular meal plans as required, you know, we don't do the crazy diet. So it's it's actually very confusing. And I know the general public, you know, I've had some people tell me that they thought nutritionist was a higher qualification than dietitian. So yeah, it is a bit of a minefield, I agree. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a really good, I'm like you, yeah, passionate about, yeah. I talk about it till the cows come home. It's so important. You know, I think the reason I wanted to ask, start with these questions as well is, because we all and a lot of us need help with our nutrition so if we actually mm. want to get a professional to come into our lives you mm. know where do we go how do we find them how do we work out who's yeah. and who's not do you so what would you say yeah. for listening in my first um recommendation is check out what qualifications they have whether they're a dietitian or nutritionist check out what qualifications and ideally they have done you know at least three years at bachelor's at a university level the second thing is I check what experience they have had. So have they just started? You know, have they been very experienced for a few years or even decades? Mm. And my third recommendation is, you know, word of mouth is always good to see if it's going to be a good fit for you. So see if someone you know has seen someone who really likes um, the person they saw and whether it will be a good fit. The challenge we have with accredited practising dietitians as part of our code of professional conduct, we're actually not allowed to put testimonials on our websites or promote testimonials like um, different uh, sort of case studies and things. And so that can also be a bit tricky because people may not see those and think, oh, well, they're, they're not that great. So I would always try and get some word of mouth and, and actual general recommendations. And like anything, find the right fit for you because I agree there's some absolutely excellent nutritionists out there. And if you're looking sort of for general nutrition advice and food-based things, you know, some really great ones. As with dietitians who might have the really specialised knowledge that you might need if you have something like cancer or, um, you know, some serious gut issues. So it's finding, I think, the right fit. But I would just caution because it's very confusing and, and there's all these different online certifications now, which, to be honest, don't really mean anything. And like I said, you know, people can do a six-week course and call themselves a nutritionist. So I would caution against, you know, they're just not going to have the same level of knowledge or experience as someone who's um, studied and actually done internships and seen clients and patients as part of their training. Yeah. Just in a sort of in a clinic or a one-on-one -on -one situation and we can move yeah. into that 
can you give an example of like uh, i don't know of somebody coming into see you uh who wants assistance with their diet how do you sort of start so i always like to you know start with a bit of a chat and find out the reason that the person is wanting to see me and i find this is really important particularly if they've been referred by the doctor because what the doctor might think they're being <laughs> referred for may actually be very different from what the patient thinks so for example you know, I've had doctors refer someone to me because they think it's all about weight loss and they'd like the person to lose weight. But when I actually chat to the person themselves, they're, they're not that worried about their weight, but they're not sleeping well or they're experiencing reflux. Actually managing those, and actually as part of doing that, they're likely to lose the weight anyway, but it's actually not the main focus or the main interest for the person. So I think it's really important to get to the crux of what they're motivated to work with. And then I always get a little bit of a history, medical and diet history. This needs to be done in a sensitive way because obviously people can feel a bit judged and think we're the food police, which of course we're not. And I tend to like to get a bit of a, a pattern of what foods people eat. Sometimes we ask people to fill in a food record for a couple of days to get an example of weekend and weekdays before they come in. And then we analyze different things. If we've got any blood test results or any body composition, I also have a lovely scanner um, for those people I see in person, um, which tells us all sorts of interesting information about fat and muscle and where that's deposited. And of course, um, that's important because it's, it's different disease risks, particularly if that fat's around the tummy area, we know they have increased risk of problems with heart disease or type 2 diabetes. And then it's, it's really, I like to use aspects of motivational interviewing. So it's what is motivating for the person. So for example, if they are having problems sleeping and they want to do everything they can around that, then looking at some dietary changes. So it might be removing and substituting some lower caffeine options towards the end of the day. It might be having some really good complex carbohydrates towards the end of the day to help them keep blood sugar levels stable and, and help them fall asleep better. And then, of course, um, breaking it down into a couple of easy steps. I like to focus probably on just three um, until I see that person again, which depending on what it is, um, you know, maybe a couple of weeks, it might be a month. And wor working on how we're going to decide whether seeing me was worthwhile and that they're actually achieving their outcomes. So is it measuring things like body composition? Is it looking at changes in their diet? Might it be about their energy levels, quality of life, how well they're sleeping, blood results? So... It's really generally an assessment, coming up with a plan and a strategy, um, and then reviewing that frequently. So that's, that's sort of a general outline of in-person consultation. And obviously now, during this interesting time, um, I'm actually doing most of my consultations online, and they do still follow a very similar format. Yeah, I guess uh, once people have come to see you, at least um, by mm -hmm. the time they get to be sitting in front of you, they've sort of mm. made a concerted effort to say to themselves, okay, I'm going to do this. Do you find uh, that the motivation and uh, making the changes is the hardest thing, that one of the hardest things that people are dealing with? And how do you, how do you oh. help them with that? I definitely think it can be. And once again, it's if it's coming from them themselves or not. So certainly over the years, I've seen people who would openly say, I'm not even sure why I need to, to be here. I don't really want to be here. My doctor asked me to come see you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's really coming from the doctor more than them. Um, and in some cases, you know, I would just give them some information and tell them to come back when they're ready to see me. In other cases, I'd try and get more 
to the crux of why they saw the doctor and if I can sort of move them along a little bit in terms of taking action. I find it is linking to either values or activities that are really important to the person. So for example, if family is a really high value or motivator, then it might be about improving their health and getting in better shape to have the energy to keep up with their kids or their grandkids. I see it a lot for new grandparents who suddenly realize they can't bend over as well as they used to and they can't keep up with their three or four-year-old grandkiddies. So it's about putting some simple but sustainable healthy eating strategies in place to help with that. And um, it, it also might be if they've had a health scare or unfortunately even a, a medical diagnosis, that can often be one of the greatest teaching points because people are real, they've had that wake up call and they're really motivated to try and make some changes. So in that case, it's always easier. It is hard if people are sort of a little bit more in denial or even survival. I'm seeing a lot of people at the moment where they know their health and, and well-being isn't great, but they just feel they're in survival mode. It's kind of like, let me just get through COVID or let me just get through this and then I'll start prioritising that. The challenge, of course, is we know it's all interrelated mm. and, you know, the more stressed you get and if you're self-medicating with emotional eating or drinking, that builds up the stress and, and worsens everything. So, it's about trying to show that just really quick and easy things that might only take a few minutes a day mm. long-term can actually make some really big improvements. So they don't have to wait for that perfect time. And I'd argue, well, I'd argue the perfect time to start a plan was probably 10 years ago. Mm. But um, if you didn't manage to do that, then now is you know, the next best time to, um, to really start investing in your health. You've developed your own little um, program there called Three Pillars, Mindset, yeah. You Plus Movement. Can you? Yes. I want you to talk a little bit about that, but I also want to come into yeah. what happened in your own life. We haven't got too much time, but can you just give us an overview sure. of that program? Obviously, nutrition is the basis of everything I do, but after 20 years' experience, I've realised you can't. it's silly to talk about nutrition in isolation. And so that's why I've brought in those aspects of mindset and movement because I genuinely believe they do work in synergy and any one of those three pillars is going to help performance in the other pillars for your overall health and well-being. So very simple things like um, being more mindful, um, having a growth mindset, developing resilience, and then all the nutrition stuff, of course, I do in terms of eating more fruit and veg and less processed things, and then movement. So even, you know, going for a walk, dancing, stretching, fun stuff that we can all do every day, um, is a really good push to get people in the right direction who might not be excited about, you know, spending a couple of hours in the gym every day. <laughs> so yeah. it's about pulling it all together for best health and well-being. Yeah, look, the fun aspect is really important, isn't it? You know what mm. I mean? Because otherwise you just don't keep doing it, do you? It's like... It's That's sort of exactly right. Yeah, That's yeah. exactly right. It has to be fun and enjoyable and, yeah. and part of your everyday yeah, totally get that. All right, so I just wanted to, um, I probably should have asked you at the beginning, I'm going to ask this at the end. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you had so many years of being an academic and then yeah. uh, you had two friends who died or passed away from cancer, is that right? Which, yeah. uh, one, one did pass away and one got out the other end uh, very well. <laughs> oh, but I, wow. Yeah, so one, one did, um, one's doing remarkably well, which is great. But it was actually supporting them through that journey and ironically, one of my areas of expertise is actually nutrition to help people cope better with their cancer treatment, like chemotherapy, 
not lose too much muscle and, and have good quality of life. And so I've published a lot of research, including um, the leading evidence-based guidelines in that area, which mm -hmm. is great. And I'm very proud of the work that myself and my team have done. But what was a bit of a wake-up call for me were my friends weren't actually offered this nutrition advice or this nutrition support. And so seeing it through their eyes, it made me just realise, you know, there's some really good stuff happening, but there's also huge gaps and as one friend said, she said she felt like, you know, at the end of chemotherapy, she was sort of spat out of the system and left to pull her life back together again. Mm. And so I was really motivated, I guess, to um, provide nutrition and wellness support to anyone that needs it. And, and to have the access to that now, because I also found out <laughs> that on average it takes about 15 to 17 years from when a scientific paper is published until then it trickles into standard care. Mm. And I thought, you know, I just, at my stage of life, I can't, I, I don't want to wait that amount of time. So I'm still involved in research and, and still doing quite a few trials and I'll keep that going. But I'm very motivated and passionate about helping people get access to the right sort of information now. I'm actually really, really um, happy to say that uh, you're going to be writing an article for the Art of Healing magazine on that yeah. topic. So what have you got on your website regarding that? Is there a link or something we can put up for people who, who might be to get some help if they are going through chemotherapy or some sort of cancer? Yeah, absolutely. And I've got, you know, free resources and a, and a Facebook support group as well. So I think the easiest way is just to look on my website, which is drliznutrition.com. And if we can put a link to that um, on the website, that would be lovely. Okay, yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely do that. Well, uh, look, we're, we're coming to the end of the interview. What's your, what would be your, your parting comments that perhaps a uh, question I haven't thought of to ask you today? Ah, I think it's just to, to help encourage and motivate people that health doesn't have to be, the, you know, green smoothies and fasting and hours in the gym. Simple things, literally five or ten minutes a day by taking, you know, 30 seconds out to do some deep breathing adding an extra serve of berries and leafy greens and, you know, walking or swimming every day. Really, it's that consistency. It's what we do on average every day as opposed to something huge that we might do a couple of times a year. <laughs> it is that sort of uh, drip, drip thing, isn't it? It's like, uh, yeah, step by step. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Liz Eisenring, uh, fabulous work that you're doing. And I'm sure that lots of people will get a lot of value from everything that you've said today. And so thank you so much. My pleasure.